on this week's show, I think we're talking about the unofficial Ghostbusters sequel from 2001 that, for some reason, is named after a famous Japanese video game series. Maybe. Uh, Okay, listen, spoiler alert. I have no idea what I'm talking about because I am not exactly sure what happened in this film. I'm Troy Sauer. Brad Anderson. And this is not a bomb. back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This month, it's all about the sci-fi animated films, and this is our second one that we're diving right into. Brad, this is your pick, correct? What are we talking about tonight? Video games! Yay! Actually, we're talking about 2001's Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Yes, the spirits, the ghostly phantom spirits spoiler alert i did a lot of research this thing has nothing to do with final fantasy at all yeah i'm really gonna need some help with this one tonight you're you're gonna have to take me to school on this whole final fantasy thing okay last week we had the trivia which made me clench my butthole for like (laughs) you know 45 minutes and now you're making me explain final fantasy to you which is an impossible feat, but, but hey, this was your I'll, pick, I'll give man. it a try. I assumed I, you know knowed. I assumed no, you knowed all about the Final Fantasy games. <sighs> okay. I, some. Some? Okay. Yeah. Well, bef- before we get into this, I, I do want to bring up a, a bit of a topic that we have talked about this weekend. Uh, <clears throat> I, I want to say a few days ago, um, actually yesterday, it was kind of circulating on social media, we found out that one of our favorite stars, um, action gurus, I mean, pure genius behind the camera and in front of the camera, Brad Allen passed away. So uh, Brad Allen was 48 years old. Um, you will remember this name because we talked, we've actually talked about him a few times and it started when we talked about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yep. So just a little refresher, Brad Allen, was uh, the first non-Asian member of the Jackie Chan stunt team. And he studied martial arts, boxing, gymnastics, Chinese circus arts since he was 10 years old. He goes on the set of Jackie Chan's film, Mr. Nice Guy, and Jackie meets him, sees what he can do, and all of a sudden he says, hey, come work for me. And what is significant about Brad Allen was he wasn't just a part of that stunt team, but all of the action films that you have seen probably in the last couple of decades, he's been either working as a fight choreographer, a stunt choreographer, uh, or he's done the stunts on films. And just, just to give you a little taste, um, he was an action choreographer, a stunt coordinator on Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which is where we kind of brought his name up first. Kick-Ass, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Wonder Woman, he also was the stunt coordinator, stunt coordinator on Solo, a Star Wars story, which is another film that we talked about. Um, he's done the entire Kingsman series. And uh, unfortunately, his last movie that you're going to see his work in is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So he's the fight choreographer for that. 
And for anybody who is a Jackie Chan film, you'll know Brad because he has sort of a co-starring role in 1999's Gorgeous. That's like one of our favorite films. But he is so talented in front of the camera and behind the camera. And um, yeah, he passed away this weekend due to, at, at this point, cause of death is just illness. But I don't know about you, Brad, to see somebody that talented, that young, who I thought was just absolutely in perfect shape and and just, I, I don't know, it, that that hit hard for me. I, I was thinking about this in a, a lot of the films that we talk about, I don't know if it's consciously or subconsciously, we always gravitate towards the mortality part of films. Um, when there's a mortality theme to a movie, we always discuss it. And I think in the back of our minds, we're always talking, we're always thinking about our own mortality. Yeah. I don't know, like if, if we've said this before, but one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is a, a way for our children at some point in time to watch films with us when we're no longer here. Um, and, you know, to think about someone like Brad Allen, who is in between us, uh, 48 and someone who you would think is in perfect shape, um, you know, someone you would sort of strive to be um, pass away really makes you start to think about your own mortality. And it's, it's difficult to put into words like how much of an effect he had on us just through film, which is, you know, very minimal. It doesn't mean anything, you know, like, in the grand scheme of Brad Allen's life, he was, yes, a coordinator and a director and all that stuff, but he was also a human being. Uh, but for us, you know, he affected the way we watched movies and appreciated movies. And th- that means a lot, especially over the last 18 months. Like I've learned if it makes you happy, who cares? Like appreciate right. it. And in film has, I've re I've started to reappreciate films more in the last 18 months than probably the first 18 years of my life. Um, and knowing you obviously, and you telling me, Hey, watch this, watch that. Um, I knew when I woke up on Saturday and I saw your text, I, I knew it had hit you pretty hard. Um, but you know, when you lose a human being, um, it's, it's difficult. And when you, you lose a human being that is not that much older than you, it really starts to make you reflect. Um, and it, it puts things into perspective, man. I've done a lot of sort of reflection in, in trying to figure out like, um, you know, my own mortality and what, you know, what am I going to leave behind? Things like that. Um, it, it, it really hits you hard. Um, yeah, it does. And I mean, I've never met him. I know you haven't. Um, I, and there's no reason for somebody like this to kind of make you stop in your tracks for a second and go, Oh, wait a second. But He's he's pretty much my age, and um, I've I've followed his career the minute I discovered him, and for me, he was bringing over into American film the things that I liked in Hong Kong cinema, especially when it came to the action choreography and the stunt work and everything else. And, and well, it learned- says a lot about him when he he catches the eye of Jackie Chan. Yes, like if you can do that. You've done something in your life. Yeah, I mean, and he has worked with so many different people at so many different levels. So, um, I, I mean, it, I've I've met celebrities before. Probably, probably the two 
that are my favorite is Roddy Piper and Jim Kelly. And I got to tell you when they passed that did hit me because it was like, wow, I just, I just met those guys. And, and those were, you know, guys that I grew up with, but you know, I, I don't know how people are in general and I shouldn't kind of go, Oh, wait a minute. Why did this bum me out all day Saturday? But it really came down to the fact that you're right. It, it kind of puts your own life in perspective and you're like, dude, this, this guy was so young. Um, and I don't know what, you know, it, all you, all you see in the news was it was illness related, but man, it, it really just kind of depresses you because you're not going to see what that person is going to put out anymore from an art perspective. And I think what he did was art. So. Yes. And, and a lot of, a lot of people will tell you 48 for like being a director is still very young Yes, and you become better and better with age. Um, any director will tell you the first thing they've done or their student film is unwatchable now because they would do a million things differently. So you're getting into that groove of learning. And I think, of course, that's a bummer that we're going to miss out on a lot of the stuff that he would have done that would have been great. I don't know his family situation or anything like that, but I'm assuming, you know, the people who loved him will definitely miss him. Um, I think, didn't Keanu Reeves say that one time? Didn't Colbert ask him like, hey, Keanu, what's going to happen to when we die? And he, I think his answer was like something like the people who love us will miss us or something like that. And I've always kind of kept that with me. Um, yeah, man, it's a bummer. It's a real bummer. It is. And, and we don't mean to start a uh, entertaining podcast talking about something so morbid, but it, it really is our chance to show some appreciation for a true talent in front of the camera, behind the camera. And I would encourage everybody, if you haven't seen Gorgeous from 1999 to Jackie Chan film, he is fantastic in it. But, you know, go back and look at his filmography. You'll be surprised at how many movies you have seen that Brad Allen has worked on, especially in the Hollywood studio. And he's just a major influence. And I hope somebody else comes up the ranks the way he did and can bring some of that 80s, 90s sort of Hong Kong action and, and influence what's going on, you know, behind the camera for, for days to come. But, um, dude, just everybody go out and, uh, celebrate, you know, Brad Allen's life by just watching some of his work, watch people kick some other people in the face, right? <laughs> Nobody did it better than Brad Allen. He, that guy was quick, but today we're talking video games. I, I the know possible transition. Good job. Joy. Just there you go. It. We're just yeah. right into it. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, we'll get into this film, but I'm curious, Brad. So you, you are probably a little bit more of a gamer than I am. So I, I think if we're talking about time commitment and stuff like that, you spend a way more time on video games today than I do. But mm -hmm. I can say yeah. I probably have a little bit longer longevity with games because, you know, I had the Atari 2600, the original Nintendo. You yes. weren't al you weren't alive for those days. I did have it. My 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 first vivid Christmas um, memory is getting a Nintendo with the power pad and okay. the duck hut gun. Um, I still tell my parents that's like literally one of the greatest days of my entire life. I remember waking up that day and they had it all set out in the living room. Um, it was magical, just a magical day for me. So this one is, um, and here's what I'm curious about. The, the movie is called Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. And Final Fantasy is this just mega uber popular video game series. Are, yes. are there like 15 video games of this? I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think I played half of a Final Fantasy game and I couldn't get through it. 
Okay, so there's a lot going on with Final Fantasy. So there's even like, so we get Final Fantasy One, which I think is like from 1987. It's on the original Nintendo. Okay. Um, and then I believe that we don't get like two and three in the United States because they're Japan only. And then like four is on this, maybe four is on the Super Nintendo. I know six is six is my favorite. Let's just say that six is my favorite. Okay. Um, I'm going to stop you right there. So does six have anything to do with one or are, is there an interconnected story for through any of these games or is it, I mean, there's what's, what's not, there are some themes that kind of run throughout each sort of game, I would say. So each one has like a fallen civilization. So like okay. after, after someone has fallen, all the games have these things called chocobos. A what? A chocobo. Uh, it's like a chicken. Uh, yeah. Like a, it's like a giant chicken. <clears throat> I must have missed this in the film. Was you, there, was there you, a giant you, chicken in the movie? No, no. Okay. They're, All right. Um, let's see. Usually, I think like amnesia is always a big plot line. Like someone doesn't remember who they are. Okay. Um, you so know, they amnesia, wash up on the shore. Giant chickens. Yes. Okay. Uh, I did write this down. Yeah. Sid is a character I believe in most, if not all final fantasy games. So Dr. Sid in this movie is kind of a callback to the Sid character in the final fantasy games. Okay. So giant chickens, amnesia, Mm -hmm. and a doctor named Sid is, is the thread that ties all these games together. Well, and then there's like friendship plays a lot of, you know, of some of the themes, um, crystals or another one. Yes. Crystals. Um, and usually there's like a mythology. So, so like they summon creatures, things like that. Yeah. It's, uh, and these dude, are, it's a lot. These are good games. I, I assume they, they've yeah, made 15 so of them. So everybody loves them, your, right? They're your role RPG, your role playing games. Yep. Um, they, you know, turn, a lot of them are turn based combat. So your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn sort okay. of deal. Yep. Um, Six was on the Super Nintendo, which was huge. Um, but seven uh, on the PlayStation One was probably its its biggest sort of coming out party. That's the one with Cloud with the huge sword and Sephiroth and Eris dies, all that stuff. That was like I believe four disc on the PlayStation One. Oh wow! And yeah, I uh, I decided over the weekend since we were going to do this that I, I fired it up on the original. PlayStation. I have, I still have a PlayStation. Um, so I put that in and just kind of mess around. The first area is called Midgar. Um, and you're kind of doing some stuff. It's, uh, it's a cool game. Like they, the final fantasy games are, are most known for kind of pushing technology forward. So even on the super Nintendo, it looked amazing. The music was amazing for the 16 bit era when it came to the 32 bit stuff. I mean, they had, sort of these cutscenes that were elaborate. I mean, movie quality ish. I mean, you I, know, I for do video remember, games. Yeah. I do remember the one I played, there were a lot of cutscenes into it. And, yeah. So and it's I a lot of cutscenes yeah. and you know, it's going to take you 40 to 50 to 60 hours to beat. Um, so they're very long. And then I kind of 
eight was I liked eight and nine, and then it kind of moved into ten. And I I've, I haven't touched anything pretty much since ten. It becomes like a online role playing game at some point in time with eleven and fourteen. It's it's and then there's like these other offshoots. So there's like Final Fantasy Tactics, um, which are more grid based games. So I don't remember. I don't know if you ever remember games like Shining Force on yep. the Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. So kind of like that. Um, but they they all involve friendship, chickens, amnesia, <laughs> chocobos. Yeah, yeah. And, or I sorry, mean, giant chickens. Yeah. Okay. Usually they're and and like airships. Airships play a big part of it. Um, I, I'm gonna be honest. You said giant chicken. I'm kind of intrigued. So if if I'm a new person jumping into it, not even remember like the one I played and didn't finish it. Which one do I go back in and start with knowing that you hooked me with giant chicken? So which one has more giant chickens than the other one? I would say if you have access to it, start with six. Okay. Or seven. I would start with seven. Seven. Six or seven. And there is a healthy amount of giant chickens in seven. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I'm curious. So I do play video games, but I got to be honest with you. They, I, I enjoy them and I'm usually fascinated with the mechanics, uh, but I, I do kind of like to pick them up, put them down and it takes me forever to finish something. But obviously Final Fantasy is very story driven because it, it is that, you know, role playing game edge to yes, it. Yes, right? they, so, they are telling a story. Yep. So I, I, I was thinking like, what are your favorite video game stories? Because I, I don't think this particular uh, medium or media really kind of from a story perspective, I don't, I don't think a lot of people talk about it. And, and for me, there are, there are a handful that still to this day, I go are as good as any movie that I've watched and have just sort of blown me away. But I'm curious, like, what are, what are some of the ones that just come to mind when you just say, Hey, I, if, if I were championing a video game for its story, not just it's, you know, it's mechanics or if it had the greatest graphics or it was, you know, pushing technology, et cetera. But you walked away and you went, man, that, that was a fantastic story. And you would, you know, pick it up again and go play it. What, what are some of the ones that come to mind for you? So I was going to pick Alan Wake with my first one, but they, but the studio that made it remedy made a better version of that game. It's called control, um, which just came out the last few years. And, and actually they re-released it for the series X. Um, it's basically like you become the sort of the CEO or uh, I guess you're like the leader of uh, the Furo, the Federal Bureau of Control, which is like a government agency that studies phenomenon of like that violate the laws of reality. Uh-huh. And so you play this girl named Jesse. It's very sort of Twin Peaksy, very sort of David Lynch-esque. It's very weird. Uh, you know, there's a floating triangle. This is all this weird stuff, um, but it's really, really good. Um, you know, and they find these, um, God, what are they called? Objects of power. And each one will give you something. And it's, it's a really cool game. Um, it's really weird. I think the storytelling in it is, is really, really good. It has some of the best turns and some of the best characters. There's a janitor character in the film that is very, very Twin Peaks. Um, so I dig that game quite a bit. Um, 
So if anyone's looking for a cool story, control. Okay. That sounds awesome. The, yes. So one that came to mind for me, and it was something I, I was never huge into the Resident Evil games, but I kind of like, you know, horror themed games as, and, and one that I just remember loving and it had a good source material from, I think it was a Japanese novel. They also had a pretty decent movie made out of it, but I remember the game specifically and it was called Parasite Eve. And that story was so crazy, but uh, you know, it's, it's really a body horror game. It's, it's about, you know, the cells in your body, somebody being able to control that within them and make people blow up or, uh, and, and you're a detective trying to stop all that. But I just remember getting so engrossed into that and it had so many twists and turns to it. And I think it was sort of, um, takes place after the original novel. Um, but it, you know, I saw the movie. It, I don't even know if the DVD is out there anymore, Parasite Eve. It, it's a great little Japanese horror film. But for me, this game, it just put me on the edge of my seat, and it kind of scared me a little bit, even for you know PS1 graphics. But I just remember that being just a fantastic um, story uh, and just a, a really original horror story on top of that. That's funny you mentioned that. I just traded someone some games, some duplicates that I had for – Parasite Eve in that original DVD disc that came with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, so I'm literally, I'm literally getting it like a week. So I'm curious what you think about it. I didn't even know there was a sequel. Apparently the sequel's not mm -hmm. as good, but um, yeah, it's not as good. The original, the original, if you can get your hands on it, will will fetch you a pretty hefty price. It's about a hundred dollar video game now. Yeah. So, I, I still have it because I'm like you, I have my PS one and everything else. And that's when I just, I'll pick it up every once in a while and just dive back into it. But it's something that the minute I started, I'm going to finish it because I like that story. It's yeah, super yeah. creepy. God, it's creepy. Well, and on, on that, I will say one of my other favorites is Silent Hill 2, the second Silent Hill game, which is very creepy, very horror-esque, um, you know, takes place in a small town in Maine. Right. Um, you're searching for your wife who happens to be deceased, but it's really cool. That game... Kind of has those same vibes with Resident Evil, Parasite Eve. I mean, a lot of PlayStation 1 horror games are still very fun and hold up very well because they're very Japanese. Um, I, you know, they even they even go a little crazy with, like, Dino Crisis. You know, the people who made <laughs> yeah. uh, Resident Evil went on and made Dino Crisis, things like that. But Silent Hill 2, I think, is the best in the series. Um best story by far in that series as well. Okay. Um, another one that came to mind for me, uh, was lunar silver star story. Now that was a sort of, um, role-playing game that was on the PS one that I just dove right into. And, um, I, I was not huge into Japanimation or anything of that nature, but I liked uh, record of Lotus war, that whole series. And lunar kind of reminded me of it. And I remember kind of going through it and, um, just it, it gave me that whole Dungeons and Dragons vibe, but it, it had a really unique story. And um, I, I don't know it, it to me, a game like that, because I like uh, I, I like things that blow up <laughs> a lot. And so if you're going to get me in some kind of turn based strategy, I've got to really be engaged with some of the characters or even the story arc and everything of that nature. So, you know, um, Lunar was just, I was so proud of myself when I beat that thing, but you know, it, again, it's one of my favorites from the PS1 era. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, I had that game in my hand like over the last week, just oh, really? looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. 
again, that's a very, not rare, rare, but I mean, it's, you know, you can get anywhere from 200 to $300 for that complete. If you, if you want to, um, so you're, you're saying I'm sitting on a gold mine downstairs. Yeah. I might have to talk to you later on. Um, <laughs> we have to do some deals, but anyway, yeah. Lunar is very good. Uh, I, I would agree with that. Um, again, I don't know what it is with the, like the PlayStation one era stuff. Um, they were doing a lot. They could going from the 16 bit era to the 32 bit era was a huge jump in technology, especially going from carts to CDs. Um, you know, things loaded now, but you could do more uh, visually and musically and all that. And it just seemed like everything kind of came together in that era with the PlayStation one um, to really kind of really do some breakthrough stuff. Um so Troy, I'm going to talk about the big one. Uh, it's Can probably, I? Yeah, it's probably one that was on my list too. Yeah, Bioshock. Yes, that's, I think Bioshock yeah. story is one of the best crafted interactive stories you could ever put together, and the twist and all this stuff. It is the setting, the story, everything about that game to me is almost perfect. Um, you know, they re-released it with um, all three of the games combined. Yes. But that first one is so good. Rapture is such a compelling setting. Andrew Ryan is such a compelling, um, you know, villain, antagonist, if you will. Um, it is it is really, really good. Um, I like Infinite, Bioshock Infinite. Um, it's, it, I, I read some articles when I was doing some research on this about how, what that game was supposed to be and like what it, actually ended up being which were kind of not two different things but much different than like they originally thought they just ran out of time and money but that original one you know when you get in off that elevator and you're like in rapture you're like this is insane like well it, it, for, it for was, people that don't know it's like a dystopian well it's not dystopian at the, at the time they did it it was like a this whole other civilization that lived under the water in the sixties and this alternate like timeline of the 1960s. Um, it was run by sort of this Anne Randian type figure named Andrew Ryan, um, you know, and he's pontificating on all these things about, you know, what is a man and blah, blah, blah. It is, it is pretty spot on. The only thing is, is that damn, boss battle at the very end when you're literally fighting that stature <laughs> or whatever. But anyway, yeah, it it's was a perfect it, game. It's one of the games that as soon as I finished it and you get the little twists and things are happening throughout the entire game and you, you don't pick up on it until the big reveal. The and, would you kindly, would you kindly, and all of a sudden you go, I want to go back and play this thing now that you have the full context of it. And I, I think I've played that game like two or three times. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it is like six cents level of a twist. Yes. But it's so good. And yes. there's a couple of different endings, too, based on what you do throughout the film or film. Yeah, well, I, you, I say film because it it really made me feel like I was immersed in an interactive film. Yeah, you could harvest the little sisters or save them. So if you yeah. save them all, you got an ending. If you harvested even one of them, you got a bad ending. Yeah. Because you were you're essentially, you know, I, taking I think their you could essence. harvest one, but that was it. Like anything more yeah. than one, you were in trouble. Yeah. Well, the, the other one I was going to, so it came down to two. Um, one of them, which I thought was one of the best uh, recent games, is The Last of Us. 
I'm kind of in the middle of the sequel, but I got to tell you that that first game I, I think is fantastic from a storytelling perspective. Has an amazing opening. It an does. Amazing opening. And I think it has an amazing ending too. But if you were to ask me like, what is my favorite game of all time? It would come down to this one, not just because it is so much fun to play, but it is the one game that made me tear up at the end. And I was just on the edge of my seat um, through all of the game, but when it really came down to this, I was literally breathing heavy. And now I know my street cred is kind of thrown out the window after last week when I told everybody I cried at the end of babe. Right. But this one, I was just so nervous because I'm like, is this character going to make it? And, uh, when, when, you know, not to spoil it, if you haven't done, but the, the outcome of this game, just, I was all tensed up. And when it finally reveals itself, I just, I could feel, you know, the waterworks working a little bit, but I got to say my, my favorite game of all time is uncharted two among thieves. And I got to tell you that relationship between Nate and Alina, um, Elena, excuse me, Elena, Elena Elena, is absolutely fantastic. I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. (laughs) So that game makes you feel like Indiana Jones and I know they're, you know, doing the movie now with, uh, who is it? Tom Holland and, and Mark uh, Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg, Come on, bro. And, yeah, I'm playing I'm, Sully, bro. I'm kind of interested in it just because I like that property, but I'm telling you right now, the film will not live up to uncharted two. It, it just won't because they nailed it. That game is so beautiful to look at even now. And, uh, I, I mean, you get that whole sequence in the middle of it from an action, you know, perspective where the building is falling and and you're having to kind of work your way through the building as it's going down and helicopters is so cinematic. And then even the final chase when, you know, they're trying to escape from the city, uh, stuff is happening. You don't know if anybody's going to make it out alive. I, I just, I had never felt that way, you know, playing a game before. And I still have not, I mean, last of us came close because that ending was, was super surprising. But uh, Uncharted 2, it, it, it kind of put on the waterworks a little bit. Yeah, and Joe and Ellie throughout Last of Us like have this bond, and that makes the, the ending yeah. so much more effective. My favorite story in a video game, period, number one of the bullet, is, is a weird choice, but it's Mass Effect 2. Mass Effect 2 is the middle chapter of the trilogy, um, and it is literally just, hey, let's get all these people together and go fight the bad guys. But every character that you come in contact with has their own story and their own like loyalty missions it is awesome. Every character is well you know, thought out and you do things to kind of get them in a more like your loyalty, I guess. Um, and you're literally, you get in your spaceship at the very end to go fight the bad guys. And like these characters can die and you've spent 60 hours, you know, with all these characters to at the very end that they could are, it's kind of arbitrary, but if you do everything like they won't, um, and then you won't have them for the third game, which the third game kind of, kind of misses the mark a little bit, but the second one, it's just kind of getting the gang together and it really shouldn't be that good, but the story around all those characters is what makes it so much fun and you have like the elusive man and all this you know cerberus and all this stuff it it is really one of those games where the story is way more 
than the parts. Well, however that saying is, 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 <laughs> is better than the sum of its parts. So okay. Mass Effect 2. We might have to take a break from doing, you know, movie watching and podcasting because now I want to go back and play that because I know Cameron just picked up, I guess, the, the disc the that legendary has all three edition. of it. Yeah. Yeah, he's playing through that and he's having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Okay, so and it's, a, it's a space, it's a sci-fi game. So I, you know, there, oh, that's right up your wheelhouse. Okay, yeah. Yeah. so those are some great examples, and it leads us into a film that's based on a video game franchise. Which you know, if if you're going to make a movie out of something, that means the story's got to be really good because you're going to turn it into a film. You you know, the audience is going to sit there pushing buttons. So you got to keep them engaged. So we're ready to talk about Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within from 2001. Now, it shows up on a podcast called Not a Bomb. So it either had to bomb financially or the critics didn't like it. Brad, tell us where it lands in these two categories. How about both? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. A doozy. Uh, this, full disclosure, you look up biggest bombs, history, whatever, this one will be on it. Uh, they had to write off $83 million for this movie. Oh, wow. Um, so it is released July 11th, 2001, um, with a budget, reported budget of $137 million. $137 million um, for a video game movie. Insane. Um, do you, it makes. Do you know? So I have a question. Um, when this was coming out, like what game were they on in the final? Had it been around for a little bit? Yeah, so they had just, I believe they, it was, so seven came out, I think in, I want to say it's either eight or nine. They had not gotten to 10 yet. So it was still in that 32-bit era, I believe. But it, um, but it was still a known property within the. Oh, oh yes. Okay, it okay. was so Final Fantasy at this point in time was probably at its most popular. Okay. After seven and eight, Final Fantasy was probably as big as it had ever been. Um Seven was the sort of the high water mark for the series. Um, yeah, I, I so, remember everybody. And this, and this film takes four years, so they start this film after seven comes out. I'm assuming. Okay. To kind of, but it takes four years. Um, right. And um, so yeah, so it makes eighty five million dollars. It makes thirty two domestically, thirty two million dollars domestically. Not a big hit over and here. It, no, and it makes 53 internationally for your uh, $85 million. Um, like I said, they write off $83 million. 83, they write off almost $100 million. That is a lot of money. Um, was it Square? We'll get into it. But the production behind it, they basically folded after this. Yep. Um, I, I will say that I, I saw in the thing it, it took 900 workstations – Four years to render, or you know, they you know, rendering 900. It has a hundred and forty-one thousand frames, almost 142,000 frames. Wow, um, yeah, and so they're rendering that at, I believe, back then it was you know, that's the highest quality. So this thing was you know, huge. Rotten Tomatoes, not too kind to this film, uh -oh. 44% critics, 48% um, audience. The movie raises the bar for computer animated movies, but the story is dull and emotionally removed is the okay. consensus. Hey, wow. Yes. Um, and it comes, like I said, it comes out July of 2001, 
which I was seeing a lot of these films in the theater. I saw Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within in this theater. Um, I also saw Jeepers Creepers, which apparently that director is a creep now. So yep. probably can't go back to see that movie. <laughs> Scary Movie 2, I believe I saw that movie in the theater. Uh, Cats and Dogs, I did not see in I, the theater. I did see that one. I do remember that. Okay. I see everything you've said so far. I remember. And I, I was same as... I was not a Final Fantasy fan, but I do remember seeing this in the theater because everybody was talking the about hype, the, the hype on this thing was unreal. It was like this is go- this is the future of film. Yes, they are going to photo, you know, rotoscope actors from now on. The main character in this movie was a digital character that I believe was on the Maxim one hundred list at one point in time. Like it's a big you know, deal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how about the score? Did you see the score in the theater? Yeah, Marlon Brando. Um, America's Sweethearts I did not see in the theater. No, no, passed on that one. I did see this film more than once in the theater because I was trying to convince myself that it was still really good. Jurassic Park 3. I saw that movie, I think, three times in the film or in the theater. Oh, I didn't see um, it. That I saw it once and I was good. Uh, Ghost World. Yes. Steve Buscemi. Yep. yep. Fantastic. Yep. Scar Joe. One of my favorite films, period, of all time, comes out July 20th, 2001, Spirited Away. Literally, probably in my top 20 films of all time, Spirited Away. Really? Yes. I love that in Princess Mononoke and Akira are probably my big three anime films. Okay. And, and, and obviously, Ghost in the Shell, but Spirited Away is so good. It's so Spirited good. Away was getting sort of a U.S. theatrical release at that time. Yes. So it, yeah. it, it is interesting that you get this product. Uh, J- you know, Japanimation is actually playing in the theaters at this point. So, yeah. and you get something with a good story from, yeah. you know, Miyazaki. So, um, you have Jason X. Yeah. Saw Jason X in the theater. Yeah. Fun movie. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Is that the one where they, David Cronenberg's in it? Is that the one with where they set him up at, with the FBI at the very beginning? Or is that Jason Goes to Hell? Where, it's a fake, they fake out like the girls in the cabin. She runs out and they like literally blow him up with like, do you, I, you're asking me and I don't remember. I just, I okay. think I just remember the sequence where they put him in a VR scenario and he's just uh, taking campers in a sleeping bag and just banging him up against a tree and they make a yeah. joke about it. And I thought it was funny that for some reason, that's what I remember out of that film and David Cronenberg's yeah. in it. One of the worst remakes of all time, planet of the apes. Oh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, Tim Burton. Okay. Come on, bro. And then what hot American summer comes out at the end of July of 2001. I did not see that. I, I have still subsequently, haven't seen obviously. It. You haven't? Wow. No. Okay. Yes. Okay. It's on the list of shame. Uh, yeah, that add, is. Add that with Lawrence of Arabia. I'll get to him. <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> might be a little bit. We've had way more time to see that film. But anyway, so those are your films of 2001. I will say. When Spirited Away comes out in the theater, it opened number four, and it made $11.4 million. So when you're a studio and you've invested $137 million and your film opens to 11, you start to panic. You start to panic. Um, the fir- the top three films of that weekend were Legally Blonde. Okay. Huge hit. Yeah. Huge hit. The Score and Cats and Dogs. Well, I can't argue Cats and Dogs is a great film. I liked it. Never, I've never seen cats and dogs. <laughs> it's got cats and dogs. They talk. It's awesome. I think. It, I think it has ninja cats in it. It's even better. So that's why you like it. Yep. Yep. That's why I love it. You put ninjas in it, and you put ninja cats. I'm sold. 
Well, let's talk about the people that made this sucker and then also lent their voices to it. Now, I, hey, full disclosure, do my best with the names. We know I, I've got an issue here, but there's two directors attached to this. The first one is Hironobu Sakaguchi. Yes, good job. Yes, and he is known as a video game director for the Final Fantasy series. So he, I guess, is is sort of the father of this entire He's series. the creator. Oh, yeah. the creator? Okay. And then Modonori Sakakibara, who is also a director. Now, if you look at his filmography, there's not a lot there. I, I guess two films kind of jump out. Rudolph the Black Cat in 2016 and Pokemon Mute 2 Strikes Back. I don't know what those words mean. Mewtwo um, is a Pokemon. Okay. It, chicken, you, is it chicken Are you seriously like? don't know anything about Pokemon? I know Pokemon from the Ryan Reynolds Detective Pikachu. Oh, man. I saw that, and I enjoyed that, but I am not in. Is it Mewtwo in that? Mewtwo's in that. I, but I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. No. Okay. Is is he, what what's he look like? I believe he, lo- he looks like a cat that walks on his hind, hind legs a little bit. Okay. But he's like a little bit more menacing than that. All right. Well, these these two, one's done video games and, and the other one did a Pokemon uh, animated film. They're your directors and the writers. This is where it gets a little interesting. So Hironobu uh, is credited for the story. And then you have two American screenwriters, Al Reinert and Jeff Vintar. Now, Al wrote uh, the screenplay for Apollo 13 which I thought was interesting, came out in 1996. Love that movie. I love Paul 13. Yeah, and Jeff Vintar did iRobot in 2004. So from a screenwriting perspective, they took the story from Hironobu and pretty much crafted the screenplay that, from my understanding through the production, was changing quite a bit. I, I kind of find this fa- fascinating. There's there's um, on the Blu-ray or if you have the DVD, there's a lot of you know making of... Um, you know, what would you call them? Like short videos and everything about yeah, Final featurettes. Fantasy featurettes. And you were making a point that it took four years and they were pushing the technology, but it got to the point that the stuff that they ended up creating in the fourth year, they were looking at the stuff that they did in the first year and said, we have to go back and redo yeah, it because redo the it. technology was so much better than where they were four years ago. So that really, you know, created a hindrance. But as a result of that, there was a lot of changes in the story that was, you know, happening at the same time. Now let's talk about the cast. You got a very interesting um, selection of actors and actresses lending their voice. It starts off with Ming-Na Wen as Dr. Aki Ross. And everybody will know her from Mulan in 1998. You know, she's the the actress who provided the voice for Mulan. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Melinda May, I think was her character. Now, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think I saw the first two episodes and I checked out. I'm like, nope, not for me. Yeah, I, yeah, same um, here. Most recently, everybody would know her from The Mandalorian as Fennec Shan. So she is, I don't know, she, I feel like she's just in all these major properties now for Disney. Yeah, she's in The Bad Bunch. That character comes back at The Bad Bunch as well. Oh, okay, cool. You get Alec Baldwin... Boss Baby himself playing Captain Gray Edwards. Suck it. <laughs> That's <laughs> I, all I remember from Boss Baby. And you know, I'm telling another kid to suck it. Yeah, and I, I gotta tell you, I kind of enjoyed that film. I, I'm I'm not running out to see the sequel, mind you, but it did have Ninja Baby, so I'm I'm gonna have to I watch have it. A, have a four year old and have to watch uh, Boss Baby for about uh, three weeks straight. You'll you'll see all the all the flaws. Okay. Trust me. Okay. Well, I I find it interesting when Alec Baldwin. I mean, 
I think everybody knows who Alec Baldwin is, but in 2001, he was doing stuff like the Royal Tenenbaums. I think he's the narrator for that. Uh, he was in Cats and Dogs. So there you go. Wow. He, he was lending okay. his voice for that. Uh, Pearl Harbor, and I found this interesting. He also lent his voice to the Clerks TV series uh, about that same time. So that's the kind oh, of work yes. that he was doing when he did Final Fantasy. You also now get, he's now he's Mission Impossible, baby. Well, and Saturday Night Live, right? I mean, he's pretty much yes, regular for just, all that stuff. Uh, Steve Buscemi as Neil, Mr. Pink himself, right? Mr. Pink, yes. About this time, he was doing films like Double Whammy, Ghost World, which you just mentioned. It came out that same summer. The Gray Zone. That same year, a big animated film, I think, came out that he lent his voice for, Monsters, Inc. And then uh, another film, Domestic Disturbance. So that's the kind of work that he's putting out. Um, Ving Rhames shows up in this film, too, as Ryan. Mr. Marcellus Wallace. I got two Pulp Fiction. Or, I know. Yeah, is this crazy? Tarantino people. Yeah. And just, you know, speaking of Mission Impossible 2, uh, or Mission Impossible, he had just done Mission Impossible 2, and he's going into this. But that year, he had another film come out called Baby Boy. Now, if you're putting two to two or two and two together here, everybody is having work come out the same year that Final Fantasy came out. So they, I'm, I'm sure they're I'm sure they lended their voice, you know, at some during that four years, your voice acting on and off, you know, you're coming in yep. for a little bit to do some stuff and probably doing it again. Yeah. And I, I think the king of that is uh, Keith David in this film plays council mem- council member one. He had 11 projects come out in 2001, either in TV or film. Now, everybody will know Keith David from, uh, at least in our circle, The Thing and They Live, John Carpenter films. But it's crazy that you have Keith David. Go on IMDb and see all of the the work that he's done where he's lent his voice for. He's got some of the, he's maybe got, he's got a top five voice of all time. I'm going to say. He does, it. yeah. It, it's fantastic. I, I love listening in, to him He was talk. in Mass Effect. He's in Mass Effect. Um, yeah, and, and it doesn't stop there. So you also get Donald Sutherland as Dr. Sid. Uh, about this time, he had just come off a couple of films, Space Cowboys, which was the Clint Eastwood film, and The Art of War, I think, was the Wesley Snipes action film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And lastly, the other person we're going to mention is James Woods as General Heim. To? We, we, we do. Have to talk about James okay. So same kind of thing. He had about seven projects coming out on TV or film in the year 2001. And I found this interesting too. He also that year worked on the clerks animated TV series with Alec Baldwin. So there you go. James Woods, Donald Sutherland, Keith David, Ving Rhames. I mean, that that's a pretty impressive cast for an animated film. In my opinion, I believe James Woods might've been in scary movie too, I believe as well. Probably that same year. all that these, same pe- month. All these yeah. people were cranking out a lot of movies. Um, so I, I'm not saying I, would you consider all of them a listers or B listers? Uh, I mean, those are some pretty good gets for a video game movie. I would say B for sure. Yeah. Um, I feel they like dabble in a territory. Yeah. Yeah. But they're working I mean, their butts off, you know, in the early two thousands doing everything that's coming their way. So I mean, if you saw, so I, I would think my definition of an A-list is if they walk down the street and probably 90 out of 100 people could say, that's Alec Baldwin, that's Steve Buscemi. Now, I don't know if Vin Rains has that pull, but probably a lot of people will know who he is. James Woods at a time, probably a lot of people knew who he was. Um, yeah, I mean, there there's some gets. There's some gets. Yeah, I agree. For sure. So before we kind of share our thoughts on the film, 
um, we should talk about the production history. Cause like you said, this one is super interesting. The thing to keep in mind though, is we, we should talk about toy story for a second. So toy story hits the scene. I think it's 1995 and it's the first ever feature to be made entirely with computer generated imagery. So that was a big deal. Toy yes. story was a huge hit. Pixar, and we just talked about, has Monsters, Inc. coming out that year. So, you know, as an audience member at this time in, in film, you are used to or you know about um, computer-generated films. Have you seen Toy Story in the last, where you could remember what it looks like? Yeah. Because in your mind, it looks a lot better than it really does. No. Because that first one does not look great. Yeah. It, it is, is blocky a word? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Like it, they get exponentially better. Like yes. that fourth one, even the third one where like, I remember there's a scene where it's raining on uh, the bear and the baby and stuff. And it is almost to a point where you're like, is this real or not? Um, but that first one, you know, Sid looks like he is like, you know, got these dead eyes. It's, it's not great. It's not great. But um, you know, that was in 95. Yeah, so and, a little leeway. 2000, 2001, I mean, CGI is probably uh, more, I don't know, household terminology, especially when you're going to the films, because you have it in the video games, you have it in the Pixar. I mean, there's still some hand-drawn uh, animated films coming out, but they're probably you know relegated to home video releases or TV shows, but everybody is just eating up the Pixar stuff. So I can totally see where studio kind of looks at and says, we have this franchise, Final Fantasy. It's got these awesome like large chickens in it and people with amnesia. And we got to make a movie out of this because we're really pushing the boundaries of what we're able to do with computers. So Squaresoft Inc., which is a North American subsidiary of Square, did a test uh, film called The Gray Project to see if they could add human emotion to digitally created characters and create realistic cloth and hair physics. So those are the three things they're trying to do is like, how real can they make it look, but can they get some human emotion into the computer imagery? And the test film was really just a, a short film of two people having a discussion and getting into an argument. That's all it was. So it wasn't these like elaborate science fiction environments, et cetera. Two people in the hallway kind of arguing with each other, and what they're specifically looking for is, does it look like you can relate to these characters because the computer imagery is emoting? And then, you know, what, what's the clothes look like? And does the hair physics look natural? So I'm, I'm sure that was a big deal at that time. And, and everything I know about special effects and like reading about it, like the human skin and the human face is almost impossible to render complete because our skin does a lot of stuff. When you talk, it stretches it, it, yep. you know, when I smile, my ears move and there's these weird things about our face that happen that when it doesn't happen, it creates that, what we call like the uncanny Valley, like something just doesn't look right because our eyes are noticing the things that aren't there as opposed to things that are there. Yeah. The small so, nuance nuances um, that, you know, all the little ticks that your face makes and all these things. So that's really it's what they're testing. Millions of like pieces of information go to your face when you smile. Like it's everything. Yeah. So, yeah. And so everybody liked the test film and they decided that they could make a film 
using this technology based on their biggest franchise, Final Fantasy. So they establish Square Pictures in 1997, and they built an entire complex complex in Honolulu, Hawaii. Now you were there, right? You got to see. No, this. Rick or uh, Sammy was there. Oh, that's right. Rick was there. Okay, so he got to see it on his vacation to Hawaii. Yes. So the reason why they chose Hawaii was it was a nice middle ground between the U.S. and Japan. And the idea was to incorporate the movie division's technical advances into its games, spinning a cycle of creativity with games inspiring movies that in turn improve games. So by creating this entire facility, whatever they end up generating can be used for, you know, their, their video games and pushing the cut scenes and those sequences, but then also saying, okay, we can, we can make movies out of this and match Pixar at their level. Right. Yeah. And um, it cost about $46 million to set up its Hawaii location. So just keep in mind, $46 million, that's, that's probably the right price because things are expensive in Hawaii, except for Spam uh, Musubi, which is, you know, Spam and see which, it, have you been to Hawaii? It's really good. I'm not. I've not been to Hawaii. Yeah. So when you go, it, it's pretty cheap. Cam and I tried it and I've never really liked Spam until I liked it there because Everything quite, you know, I'm digressing here. Anyways, they spent $46 million. Humble brag, humble brag. (laughs) Humble brag. So um, $46 million. uh, And and when you said the production budget for this film, was the $46 million a part of that or was that separate? Do you know? The accounting on that, you're probably able to, uh, maybe you're putting that in R and I don't know. I'm going to say Yes. (laughs) Okay, so that because so you're thinking, okay, so you buy a facility, you're buying this facility, and the stuff that goes into that facility would be the computers, the production. You would account, yeah. you would count that in the production budget. So maybe the construction, not, but that 45 is also like putting into building, but also you know, facilitate. So the computers, all that. I mean, they're building, they have these massive computers. So We'll say, you know, some of that budget is going into the production budget. Um, okay. Maybe not all of it. Yeah, it's it's crazy that they're going to make a movie. They're going to just go ahead and plop $46 million. Now, obviously, they assumed that this facility was going to be used for, you know, additional movies or additional video game sequences that they make, et cetera. So that's a pretty that's big That's another thing right? about property is like you amortize it out. You yeah. Know, you blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> okay. So in 1998... Square partnered with Sony Columbia to bring a full-length Final Fantasy movie to theaters. So they're going to create it. They're partnering partnering with uh, Sony and Columbia, and they say, okay, you're going to distribute it. We'll slap your name on here. Because and, at the time, Final Fantasy games were only coming out exclusively on Sony platforms, the PlayStation 1 at right. the time. Yeah, and, and it was really this big, ambitious goal to be the first to simulate human emotions and movements through computer graphics. So they were just talking about this as this like next big leap in in filmmaking. And Columbia Pictures, this was their first animated feature they had worked on and distributed since Care Bears Movie 2, A New Generation in 1986. Apparently that was a bomb, but I don't I don't think we're going to review that one unless we pick a month where we go, "Hey, who can, you know, who can pick the worst bomb and torture ourselves?" But I don't think I, I like you too much. Okay, I um, appreciate that. And so, Colum- a, list, a listener that we got an email from does not, so we'll get to that later. Okay, so Columbia was given the rights to distribute the film worldwide, with the exception of Asia. So somebody else is going to, you know, distribute there. 
the you talked about this. The movie was completed over a period of four years. Now, keep in mind, we talked about the Iron Giant last week, and that was mostly hand drawn with you know computer graphics for the robot, uh, the giant, and that took two years. So Brad Bird did that in two. And they're, I believe, they're probably hustling pretty, pretty quickly to to get that out in two years. Like that's a lot of work in two years, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely. They, they had half of the people that, you know, traditionally Disney was using at that time for Tarzan. Yeah. They, you know, Tarzan, I think took four to five years. So this movie is in line with, you know, the production and even the resources that Disney was throwing at its films. Right. Mm-hmm. Now you hinted at this and I, I, I thought this was super interesting. So prior to the film's release, there was speculation that the photorealistic computer-generated actors would revolutionize movie making. There were news reports of plans for the digital actress used for Aki Ross to appear in another movie or possibly be included in a live-action production amongst real actors. And they actually tested this out. So they were shooting sequences there with her interacting with everybody to see you know, how odd did it look but everybody's talking about this, like, oh my gosh, we're going to start replacing actors now with, you know, computers in these computer-generated effects. Um, the box office failure of this <laughs> film put those plans on hold. However, a special sequence created for the special edition version of the DVD, which opens disc two, does in fact show Aki and other Final Fantasy characters interacting with real people. So that's the thing that they shot. Due to the poor performance, because like you said, the sucker just lost all the monies, right? Square Pictures announced its retirement from the film business in October of 2001, just a few months after this thing's released. The studio did, however, go on to produce the short film Final Flight of the Osiris uh, in 2003. So it's a um, it's it's basically a feature that was included in the Animatrix. And it was shown at oh, the, the Osiris. Osiris. Yeah, the that's Osiris, right. Yes. Okay, that's right. And um, it played in theaters before Dreamcatcher in 2003. Uh, but you can catch it today on Animatrix. You don't have to watch yeah. Dreamcatcher. And we urge you not yeah, you to don't, watch. You don't Dreamcatcher. want to. You don't want to watch Dreamcatcher. <laughs> uh, but that that was the last thing that they did, and then it pretty much shut down. And I, I think this performance hurt it so bad that you know there were a couple of mergers that were happening between Square and Enix, and they paused all of that. And he's like, "Hey, I don't." I don't know if we want to, you know, partner up with somebody that's losing all this money. Yeah. So they really that, had to. That did at some point in time go through. Um, it, it, it did. It was delayed, but yeah. yes. One of my favorite stats looking at the research was it took the computers 90 minutes to render one scene. Yeah. And the file for the film is 15 terabytes. Yeah. The, the computers apparently that they were using on this at that time period there's only like a handful of them in the world and, yeah. and they had like four of them. And then the other like two or three are, are sitting with probably the richest people in the world or, or in some government. But I mean, they were pushing the technology boundaries like crazy with the creation of this film. Yeah. And, so like the characters were like a hundred thousand polygons and then like the clothes were like 300,000 polygons and they all had like 60,000 strands of hair. Like, it's just ridiculous the amount of work that goes into creating a full CGI character. But again, like you were saying, they're kind of putting in all this work on the front end because they anticipated using this character in other 
situations. Like this character was going to be, she was her own actress. Yes. I guess this is like, she was an actress and you were going to pay to have that actress in your stuff. Um, which is a weird concept. Isn't that crazy? Um, you would, you would call up square and you go, we're going to do this film and we need to hire her, uh, yes. which I'm, I'm sure, you know, the voice actress comes along with it, right? Because the voice is associated with the image. Yes. Uh, so, you know, they, they hire a computer generated actress to be in films. I mean, that concept is crazy to me, but that's what everybody was talking about. And then the film comes out <laughs> and then the film comes out. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about the film, Brad, th- this is your pick. Uh, I, this, this I don't is my know. Pick. I don't know. When was the last time you watched this? I saw it once in the theater and that was it. Okay. So you never watched it when it came out on home video or you haven't watched it since I haven't, I haven't seen this thing in 20 years. 20 um, years. Okay. I've seen, so there's a, there's like two other big final fantasy films that have come out since, uh, Final Fantasy Advent Children, which is a, I believe, a continuation of the story of Final Fantasy VII. And then there is Final Fantasy Kingsclave, I believe is what it's called, which I believe is a continuation of Final Fantasy XV, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's right. So you would have had to have played the game and beat the game in order to understand the movies. I think so. Yes. Because Advent children kind of starts off at a point where you're like, what's going on. And yeah, it's Advent children is not a great movie, but it looked, it has a look um, and they weren't going for photorealistic. And I think it holds up a lot better. Let's get into our thoughts of the film, Troy, please. Okay. Cause I'm dying. I'm dying here. Okay. So you revisited 20 years later. Yeah. What, what was your initial reaction? Well, so I think this film is very ambitious, right? Throughout the, like the whole thing, they would say this is the most, probably one of the most ambitious films ever created because it was going to revolutionary, revolutionize the way cinema was going to be created. Yes. Someone forgot to tell them that they needed a good story um, and they needed good pacing and they needed people who were going to voice these characters to feel like they were going to actually show up and do some stuff because boy, Alec Baldwin, all actually all the characters kind of seem like they don't really care. And I think that's because they probably had to do these line readings and do this stuff multiple times. And they probably didn't know what was going on because the script had changed and they were redoing stuff. And there are a lot of times where you will do VO work by yourself and you're not interacting with the other person you're doing VO with. You're doing your lines they will bring in the other people. They'll do their lines, and they'll. You're never, never the the two shall meet. Yeah, um, but you have a director there telling you what's going on in the scene. Uh, yes, I, I just I just remember the sequence and, and watching the Iron Giant from the the special edition, and you have Brad Bird working with the actors and kind of coming in and go, no, I want you to kind of enunciate this word, or this is what's going on in the scene. I want a little bit more emotion here. So they should have somebody should in have there direction, directing yes. Yes. them in terms yeah. of. Is what we're creating, so I need I need this out of you. From and the sometimes the director will even read the line. You know, they'll play off of you and, and yeah. all this stuff. Yep. But um, you know, it's this 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 film is is really hurt by its lack of cohesive story and pace. The pacing of this movie is really bad, and 
it's got its moments where it looks really cool, but the problem with creating a film in 2001 that you believe is going to change things forever is when I look back on it in 20 years, it's not going to look great. This film does not hold up as well as I think they anticipated because technology moves in such a way where this, this looks bad. It looks really bad. I, I'm not impressed by anything. The monsters for half the film are invisible, which is a problem. Um, and then they give like a, like a convenient way of, oh, they pass through the shield, so now you can see them. It's like a weird sort of purgatory story too. Like these monsters aren't really bad. They're just ghosts. Um, so maybe they're like in this Dante's Inferno sort of purgatory. The, the, the earth, you know, has a spirit, which, you know, whatever. Okay. You know, we've heard that kind of story before. I like that James Wood plays like a crazy conservative military gun happy dude who doesn't believe in climate change. It's like, that's awesome. Cause that's who he turned into. Um, <laughs> you know, I, this, for a hundred and or an hour and 45 minutes, uh, I think I was really at like, I was really blown away by the scene where the camera is looking up through the water and she is standing up on the water. And that's literally the only scene where I'm like, Oh, that looks really cool. I like that. They do it like four times after the initial scene. They know that's a money uh, shot. They used it. Yeah, quite a bit. it yeah. is. It is the money. Like it, it looks spectacular and it's got a cool aesthetic. Everything else is like complete trash. I think like the way it looks, I can't get past like also just how bad these line readings are and how these characters don't care. They don't care. It doesn't. I mean, I have Steve Buscemi is a actor. I love and what is his trait? Like what, like what, what do we know about him? And, and he's got a crush on the other girl, but they never really talk about it, but they have like this weird flirtation, but that doesn't, nothing ever happens. And it's not a great movie, Troy. <laughs> I will say that it's not a great movie. It's kind of boring. And when I was done with it, I was like, you know what? I'm glad I saw it again, but I don't know if I'll ever watch this movie again. You're, you're being really harsh on this one. Really? Really harsh. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying you're being really hard. I, oh. I, I don't know. I can't. I, so here's, here's the thing. I think I made a mistake watching this in the first two episodes of Cowboy Bebop uh, on the same day. And the reason why I say that's a mistake is Cowboy Bebop, and, and we'll talk about this here soon. Coming soon. Yep. <laughs> has a very distinct uh, visual style to it, and so does this film. And one is hand-drawn, one is you know computer-generated. Uh, but this thing is very drab and dreary. It's, it's just a drab and dreary-looking film, right? And to me, if you, if you take out all the color and dark humor and excitement of Starship Troopers, you get this thing. So With none of the, like sort of blistering satire either. Well, yeah, that, like that, that dark humor yeah. that, that, yeah. you know, even social commentary, I, I think it's trying to say something, but I don't know what it's trying to say. I mean, I got the message in starship troopers way more than I, than I did in this thing. Um, I do like some things here. Don't get me wrong. I, I, this is not supernova. 
in my opinion. I, I'm not looking at this and going, oh my God, what in the hell is going on? However, it it just still feels like I'm watching um, cut scenes of a video game and never playing the game. And it's like you said, it's not very exciting. And I and I was confused for most of the film. It it's hard to explain. Like if you if if I were just being flippant about it, I go, it's kind of like Ghostbusters without any of the humor. It's like Starship Troopers without any of the excitement. I mean, it it's borrowing from those two films. That's what pops in my head. But slap this gray filter on it, and and that's what you end up getting. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially like kind of like a fetch quest movie. Like they're going to get these spirits, which that's not very exciting. Like it can be, but they explain like, Oh, we've already gotten five of them. There's eight. We need these two more plus something. And you're like, I don't know what these things are. Like, you have to tell me what's going on. Yeah. I, I was, I was writing it down afterwards. It was, you know, what, what is going on here? So they got to get a bunch of spirits to make a thing to stop the alien phantoms who are actually ghosts from another planet. But in my head, I'm like, well, isn't a phantom a ghost already? Like, how's that a big reveal? Um, so, and, and then they have to make this thing before James Woods fires a big laser into the earth and kills mother nature, but he does. He shoots it like five times. Um, and, and I don't know what they're making exactly. So they are grabbing plants uh, there's talk that they grabbed a little girl, I think, or I don't know what they did with the little girl. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you should say they grabbed a little girl. <laughs> I don't know. They, they, they're having this like moment where they're like, yeah, I found this little girl that had the thing. And so we took the thing out of the little girl and I'm like, what is going on? But, um, and then energy packs are like, oh, our other thing is in this energy, like this battery cell thing, um, which going from the little girl to the, to the plant, to the battery cell. And then the last thing that they had to get, which was down in the crater where the meteor houses all the ghosts, I don't I don't know what happened. Like I don't know what the was last it, thing was. Was a ghost that like went through Gaia, I guess, which is the spirit of the earth. Okay. Or something. And, I don't know. And then all of a sudden it, was it, blue. it shows up in her, and then he's touching her, and then he touches a phantom, and all of a sudden they save the day. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the story. Yeah, and so and then there's this overarching sort of there's a civilization that basically goes to war with itself and destroys itself, which did it? It just well because they're fight. So that planet that they're all oh, the aliens, yeah, the yeah, aliens okay. essentially. So it's very heavy handed because it's like, hey, you know, man is going to war with each other. This civilization here has already done that. They went to war with each other. They blew up their planet. Uh, it landed here. They're all sort of in this purgatory state. Um, and we are sort of doing the same thing. Um, you know, they're obviously humans have gone through war and killed each other and all this stuff. And, you know, the, the planet also has sort of an essence and we as man are doing damage to the planets with our, uh, man-made you know, our cars and our industrialism and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all that stuff is in this movie, very sort of heavy handed. Um, yeah. I miss that. I'm going I, through my notes right now. Like I, I, the aliens show up with like the other creatures from the planet in the asteroid. And you're right. They did have a war. 
but uh, yeah. yeah, I missed I missed that whole. I feel like Al and Jeff are are sitting across the table, or you know, our screenwriters sitting across the table from Hir- Hironobu, and he's he's drawing something in the background and has this whole you know scene and structure and everything else. And Al and Jeff are looking at and they're looking at each other like, do you, do you know what the hell's going on? No, I don't know what's going on. Like, it it is. I don't know if it's like something lost in translation between the two. And at the end of the day, they go, well, I think this is the basic story. So we have to write a screenplay off of like post-it notes that might be broken English or some Japanese or even drawings. And they're, they're even looking at what they're creating and just saying, okay, we've got to create dialogue for this or a story, you know, it, it is a mess, but I, I almost think it's a mess because whoever is creating the dialogue in the screenplay just wasn't connected to the vision that's going on screen. No, I, I agree with that. Um, maybe I was, do you think this looks good visually now? Like, were you blown away by anything looking at this and being like, Oh, if this movie was good, we would have had something like, so when I, they were swinging for the fences. Do you think if they would have hit a home run, would this have changed anything? I, so here's what I think, because I saw it in the theater I bought the DVD, watched it again. And I remember at the time, like 20 years ago, thinking, I, I kind of like this film. I, it Science fiction for me, it it can be very, um, I don't know, it, it's touch and go, right? Because at the time you're making science fiction, you're going, well, this is what the future is going to be like. Or, you know, here's what we know of science now. And, and we're really going to play with it. And you can have a lot of fun with that. Sometimes it's super accurate. Sometimes it's so way off. Like those are my favorite things about the fifties and sixties. Their science just, you know, wasn't refined yet. So a lot of the stuff they're like, well, this is what happens when you expose this to radiation and you get this giant (laughs) ant Gilman thing and whatever, right? Oh, we're going to go to Mars and this is what we're going to find on Mars. And I find that stuff awesome because it's, you know, science coupled with the fiction and you get some great stuff movies that are too reliant on science science and too reliant on fiction and they don't find that right balance I, I think are problematic and so I'm I'm sitting there trying to remember like what was it about this film that just when I saw it initially and even went back and saw it maybe a year later was like yeah I kind of like that film I do think visuals I, I break it down in sort of the good the bad and the ugly right so the good part for me I kind of did like the alien phantoms. They were sort of cool, um, especially the big creatures that they encounter. So it wasn't just the aliens, but you have these um, almost like kaiju stuff. Why was there a dragon? (laughs) I don't know. It looked neat, though, in terms of the style, the animation, and even like that's the closest this thing gets to like Final Fantasy is like having a dragon. Yeah. And and I liked how it moved across the screen. I liked the look of it, how it would interact with, um, well, like you said, they're invisible. But then all of a sudden it goes through some shield or they put a flare up there and then the flare, uh, I don't know what it was. It screams like that flare kind of screams a little bit. Yeah, but it's like droppings from the flare was highlighting them or something of that nature. And and I like that stuff because you would see pieces of it, but still some of it was hidden. So visually I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And then the other thing that I was super impressed about and I was really paying attention in the making of was the background and the environments. Uh, with the map paintings and, and et cetera, because those weren't computer generated, no. but those were true paintings. Um, I like the detail in the environment. I actually thought it was pretty amazing. And here's a here's a great example. Right at the beginning, her ship is out in space and it comes down to old New York. And when it sets uh, on a road, 
the tires are cracking, you know, the concrete and the detail and everything you're seeing in the environment and everything else. I'm like, wow, that's really good. Like even, even this watch, I'm looking at stuff in the background or I'm looking at how the machines and everything are interacting. And I'm like, that, that's kind of cool. That's visually impressive or things where the monster, I, I, I go, okay, that I like that stuff of it. Right. So that's the good category. So yeah, there, there are things in the environment. I go even today, and this is kind of silly, but watching that tire land and all of a sudden you see these cracks in the concrete, it's like, that still looks really good today. That's more of the, the Kutra mall though. It's not the, it's, it's the little things that they get right. Yes. It's all the, it's the environment. It's the little things. And I think they get the, I think they make the creatures interesting, at least visually. Now the bad, everything is gray, like everything from this thing the, is dark. Yeah. Like from, just, well, it's not dark. It's gray. Like, no, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not black. I mean, I I feel like um, so from the suits to the buildings to the space station, it's it's all just versions of gray. I feel like you know even uh, Aki's dream sequence has this gray filter over it. I f- I feel like they made the film and there's a lot of color in it. Even the city dome is supposed to be this yellow force field but it almost has this gray tint to it. So I feel like they made the film, but they do it at night. Like it's like everything's at night. And then they go, okay, slap this gray filter over everything after we get done create. Cause that's what it looks like. And that was kind of annoying. Like everything is gray and it's just tonally. It's just, it's dull. Right. Um, and the, uh, now here's the ugly, (laughs) the, the faces on these characters look like blank slabs and and watching two of them kiss was surprisingly awkward. <laughs> I I was cringing when I'm just watching, and I don't know why. I'm I'm like, it, it's like watching two blocks of wood come together, but they're CGI wood, and uh, or you know, playing with my action figures, and I'm like, oh, the, this GI Joe is going to kiss. This. I, that's what it looks like, right? Yeah, Barbie um, and Ken are going to kiss, and it's like, mm, this yeah, is weird. It's, it's weird. Again, um, we talked about. Faces are hard. It is. And I, I think there's some detail because there's a sequence where they concentrate on her eye. And uh, there's some life and detail around the eyes. I think they got that right. But the rest of the character design is really plain. You can tell who's old, young, black, and white. That's it. Like there's no character uh, within the faces themselves. Yeah. That, I mean, one of the reasons why I believe James Cameron said that he opened Avatar on the eyes it's because those are the hardest thing to make believable. That's part of the uncanny Valley. And when that, when avatar opens up, you're like, Oh, okay. Like that looks real. I know it's not, but it looks real. And when you look at around her face, you know, there's no sort of crow's feet or anything like when she, like the eyeball looks good. Uh, The eye, but everything around it, everything around it doesn't look good. Um, and, and it doesn't Her skin is like per, you know, like skin is not perfect. And, you know, we yeah. have these lines and all this stuff and they don't get any of that stuff. Right. It looks something about it just looks wrong the entire time. Well, and it, it doesn't help that Aki and gray look the same in my opinion. Like everybody looks the same outside of who's old, young, black and white. Right. Um, one just has long hair than the other, but, but their face it, it's I just gray looked like Val uh, looked like Ben Affleck a little bit. I mean, maybe you know you white and Ben Affleck. I, I would so say Aki looks like Ben Affleck too. Then, <laughs> just with longer hair. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You would think that they'd put a little bit more distinct um, detail 
into each of the characters to make them stand out a little bit. And they're just all, all the same. Um, and, but that's what really strikes me is when you learn about the production and they say, okay, we're going to shoot this short film and we're testing out hair cloth, but whether or not emotions can come out and everybody looks at the test film four years prior and go, Hey, we did it. Let's make a whole movie. I was so surprised watching this that there are glimpses of, of emotion on the faces, but not much. Um, I don't, her hair kind of flows nicely, but it's the hair isn't spectacular. I mean, they make it short for a reason. Yeah. Like, because from what I understand, when you do hair that touches shoulders and back, you have to then simulate all that movement. And that's just more rendering you have to do. Cause when she turns her head, her hair would like move over her shoulders and move around her back and things like that. And it would, you know, crease here and do this. They don't do that because her hair is short because they want to get past all that stuff. Right. Um, well, and so they're taking the easy way out, which I I'm okay with, but they're trying to revolutionize things here and they're, you're seeing shortcuts already. Yes. Well, but I, here's my question for you though, is they, they made a short film. They go, Oh, we can get CGI to emote. Now we're, we're, you know, putting down $47 million of building something in Hawaii. So obviously they were pretty confident that their end product visually showed some emotion for me. It didn't resonate, although there are glimpses of it, but now I'm sitting here thinking, is it that it didn't resonate with me or it doesn't feel emotional because of the, uh, voice acting. Like, I I think you, you were spot on about the performances. It really feels like people are reading lines of dialogue and there's really not much to it. And if you had better voice performances, would it had looked um, more emotional in terms of things that are going on? It's hard to say. So a lot of times with stuff too, you are thinking, yes, we've got this little sliver of emotion we can do. We know with a little bit more power, with a little bit more time, a little bit more budget, we can do this, you know? So you're, you're saying we could do, we've done it this small little bit, but give us more time, give us more money. And if we get these computers, we know, we know for a fact that we can make it grow exponential. We can make it huge. We can make a face look perfect. All we need is X, you know, A, B, C, and D. Um, You get that stuff. And then you realize, Oh, to do all this stuff, you know, it's going to be really hard. And we did it a little bit, but again, faces are so unique in the way they move around and skin flexes and, and everything about a face is to the point where even now in 2021, we're seeing faces that still sort of look real, but as soon as it doesn't move correctly, like take a uh, rogue one, for instance, mm-hmm. You know, they, they redid Carrie Fisher's face, the lighting, like the oh, lighting on Peter the face. Cushing, looks, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, the lighting looks wrong and all of a sudden that face looks bad. Uh, Peter Cushing, another one, you know, he turns a little bit and you can tell that that's someone literally pacing a face <laughs> frame by frame by yeah. frame. It looks good, but it doesn't look real because there's something about it that just doesn't look right. Now I will argue like we're, even a little bit later in the Mandalorian, when they show, you know, Luke Skywalker, 
it that looks a little you know there's spots there where you're like oh okay um we're getting there but we're still not there 20 years later so for them to believe in 2000 well in, in 1997 because it took four years that you know they can make a face look real i think was a a, a bit of a a bit of a challenge that i don't think they were up to i i agree with you hunter it, i think it comes down to this that it it doesn't help that your animation is almost there, but it's still missing something, I think, right? Then throw in some body just reading lines of dialogue versus acting it out. Because that's how I feel watching this film is I think everybody's just reading the screenplay versus acting it. And and that is, um, look at all the Pixar films. I mean, we just talked about Toy Story. What makes Toy Story so good is Tim Allen and Tom Hanks. I mean, you feel their characters are coming through Buzz and Woody. I don't feel anything coming out of these characters because tonally and, and everything else, it's so boring. And they're not really emoting in their line reading. And hence, if the the face isn't really giving me too much, you're, you're left with a really bland performance. Yeah, and, and think about when you see a scene in a film where two characters are talking to each other, you know, it's usually like you cut to me, I'm talking, cut to you, you're talking, cut to me. There's a lot of cuts back and forth and then maybe they'll show us both and there's cutting, cutting and back and forth, yada, yada, yada. This thing is very sort of you talk and, and you and I talk and we're both in the same uh, frame because that's easier to animate because we're not, cutting and then cutting and then cutting and then cutting. So even like with the dialogue, there's no like cinematic flourishes in with dialogue. It's very sort of two characters in frame, sort of semi-close talking. Yeah. It's like, this doesn't look good. And I know why they're doing this stuff is because they have to, because they can't, they can't go, they can't do anything with flourish because that would be too hard and the technology just doesn't allow it. Yeah. And it would, and they probably like, look, this took four years. I'm sure with an unlimited amount of time, the people doing the effects could make this thing look amazing. But that's not how things are made. It's well, always time but, and budget. But so let me ask you this though would better technology with the same visuals that they're putting on screen make it a better film? It still doesn't help the plot and it still doesn't help the dialogue. It still doesn't help the pacing or anything like that, but it would at least be somewhat more memorable that, Oh, at least it looked good. But I mean, cause see, I, I guess my point is what is just on its basics, right? What stands out in this film outside of anything visually that you would see in cinema? For me, it might be the monsters. It might be the environment, but that environment, that post-apocalyptic New York and everything else, I've seen it before and I've seen it better with either animated or live action. I, I think it really comes down to, so you said in the game, there's giant chickens. Uh, They're called chocobos, yes. Yes, okay, cho <laughs> cho chocobos. Chocobos, there's giant chickens called chocobos. That is in my head goes, Ooh, I kind of want to see that. Like that's interesting, Absolutely. right? That's another problem with this movie. There's nothing here that makes me go, Oh, I'm going to really remember that. So the avatar is a great comparison. 
you have this technology that's being used to animate like half of the film and all these characters, but visually Pandora is just gorgeous to look at. It's, it's something different. You remember all of those scenes. You remember all the creatures and everything else. Once you leave the theater, what do you actually remember from this outside of some like orange, yellowish, glowy tentacles or um, Martian looking guys running around? But even then the design, it, it, it I don't know, it, it looks like video game creatures. Artistically, yeah, and, and think, there's nothing inspiring within the film. Think about like one of the action set pieces, them in the car. Right. And how boring that was and how uninteresting visually it was. Just like they're in a car, they back up a few times, they go up a ramp, and then they go another direction. And you're like, that was supposed to be an action set piece that was supposed to thrill me, but God, that was boring. Like they it well, I'll say this. That's that's the only sequence when the city starts to, I guess, be invaded. I started to get a little interest. I'm like, oh, okay, there's some tension, how that's playing out. Now I'm with you. It's pretty lame in terms of these action sequences, but now there's something on the line. They got to escape. I'm kind of engaged. I get it. I'm, I'm sort of paying attention. They don't do, they don't do the, anything, the, but the, the aliens, the phantoms, we don't know anything. And I don't know if this would help, but like what they're doing at that time, they're just looks like they're just taking people's souls. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, they touch them and, and they go like, blue. Okay, like what? What is going on with right. these creatures? Like, not that I want to know what the creature's motivation is, but I do want to know something. Like at I, this time, I don't know anything. No, I agree with you. But that whole sequence of them trying to escape something, and all of a sudden, there's a little bit. T- it's like, okay, there's something going on in the film now. I'm kind of engaged. I'm ready to go. Then they go to the crater, and I still don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't know how the rules work. Okay, all I know at this point is they should not touch you because if, if they touch you, you're going to turn blue, and then you're going to leave your body but, or, or something of that nature. I don't know. Well, isn't the spirit within your soul? Isn't that, isn't that what we're talking about? Maybe, yes? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, again – from a world world building perspective, I don't think it does a really good job, but I think it really just comes down to it's just a gray, visually uninteresting film. And if it had giant chickens, it might have helped it out a little bit, or at least just something visually memorable that you'd walk away from. But outside of this, it's kind of like, wow, they did, did a great job at creating some environment. They did a couple of interesting creatures. But even then, I mean... When was the last time you saw Starship Troopers and you remember the bugs probably more in detail than you remember any of the creatures in here and you just watched it a few days ago, right? Yeah, and and I'm <laughs> I know I, I talked about Final Fantasy at the beginning of this, but believe it or not, I am not an expert on Final Fantasy, but I do know that this literally has nothing to do with Final Fantasy. Like that's one of the biggest problems is they don't do anything with this property to make it Final Fantasy. This could just be called Spirits Within and have nothing to do with Final Fantasy, really. I mean, we're talking about a game that has people doing magic in swords, and this one is like yeah, they're I using I guns. I wouldn't have got they're that from this gu- thing. I mean, there's in eights, like they use these gun blades things or whatever. But anyway, but most of the time it's swords. We have mages, we have, you know, people, you know, casting spells and this is like none of that, none of that. And 
I think it's just a missed opportunity to have the aliens be the bad guys. Like that's not what Final Fantasy is. It's usually like these warring factions. And, and again, like I, I maybe I'm missing something, but to me, nothing about this screams, "Hey, this is Final Fantasy, the video game that I know." Um, even the music, like Final Fantasy, is known for amazing music, and I couldn't tell you if they played any music in this movie at all because I don't remember any of it. I I'm with you. I this is such a I don't know. There, there are elements, like I said, I, I remember it more for at the time it came out, what it was trying to do. But from a story perspective, I, I just, it, you know, Supernova, I'm now. Oh, here we listen, go. Listen, people are going to interpret this comment as you should go out and watch Supernova. And I've talked to some people that have listened to the podcast and because of how we described it, they're like, oh, I got to go out and watch it. And then they go watch it. I'm like, it was terrible, right? And they're like, yeah, it was absolutely terrible because of everything that you, you guys talked about. So what I'm saying here is not a reason to go out because we still have that warning label out there like, don't watch Supernova. But I'll say this, Supernova is so bad that I can sit there and at least get some enjoyment out of kind of going, oh my God, what is going on with that robot that just has a, it's a guy in a <laughs> suit doing the robot with an air. It's ridiculous, right? But in my head, I'm like, this is so freaking bad, ridiculous that I'm I'm attentive and I'm engaged. This film is just boring. Like it makes the it, it just makes the cardinal sin of being a, a bore to get through. And there's maybe 20 minutes, maybe, and this is being generous, 20 minutes, and I think, okay, I'm kind of engaged because they're just trying to escape from something and all of a sudden it turned exciting. But as soon as that happens, I have no freaking clue what's going on. It's they're ghostbusters in space or not in space on earth. I, I don't know where they're at sometimes outside of, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have to keep reminding myself. It's the future. It's not another planet. It is earth. It's old New York, whatever, but it's, it's just boring. Like I'll forget yeah. everything about this film. Now supernova. I'll still remember because I'm sitting there like what made them think? Uh, yeah. Even it just boggles my mind. Like how that movie was made or the decisions are made. Whereas this one, I'm like, yeah, you guys tried to make a, I don't know, a big cut scene into a film and slap some gray tones on it and expected, you know, to make $200 million back. No bueno. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the story is an absolute mess. Like it's obviously one of those things where they thought it's just going to look amazing that people won't care. Yeah. And it's amazing to me. No, like no studio enter. Everybody was on the same page. Maybe you had the co-production, like I said, the screenwriters weren't all on the same. Yes, there are challenges. The technology grows in four years. You got to go back, but it it you know you don't hear any of the horror stories about the test screenings. You don't hear any of the horror stories about well, this director got fired and they brought in this other one. They set out executive change, executive, executive change, none of that. Yeah. yeah, no. From beginning to end, this film was going to be made, and outside of just trying to create a computer generated film really no trials and tribulations that we've seen in a lot of other bombs that we talked about. Right. So it really comes down to artistically that's where the crime is made. And I think from an audience perspective, if you saw the poster, if you saw the trailer, uh, if you saw 10 minutes of this film, you would look at that and go, I don't want to see that because it's not going to take me into something that's interesting. Yeah. Hey, but the character was on Maxim Magazine, so you know. Yeah, they, that, that like that boggles my mind. 
boggles my mind, but I'm sure everybody looked at it. And I, like I said, I was interested in it just being, you know, a gamer and seeing what they're doing. They're taking this technology, they're making the movie. So they got me, but I'm a very niche audience. Right. But I think yeah. in a general population, everybody looked at this thing and, and sniffed it out and went, this looks terrible. And they were right. Yeah. And to be fair, most video game movies are terrible. Like street fighter is a terrible movie. I would watch street fighter a hundred times out of a hundred before this. Cause yes. at least street fighter has like some weird stuff going on. Things happen. It's dumb as hell, but it kind of gets me there in a way. <laughs> it's so, it's one of those so bad it's entertaining. I think. Yeah, this is, this is like a, you said, creates the, is the Cardinal sin. It's boring. It's a competently it, made film outside of the script story and all the other stuff, which are essential and, and I'm, I, I believe it that you need a good script in order to have a good movie. This doesn't have, you know, put all the visuals you want on there. It's not a good script. That's yeah. And it, it suffers. It, yeah. I mean, it's really just, I wouldn't say unwatchable, but I think after you see this movie once, that's it. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. You're like, Hey, I saw it, but I, I would still put this in the, the category of don't run out and see this. I mean, I, again, I, it's not as bad as supernova. Uh, from a quality, well, that's not that's not saying a ton. It's yeah, a low it's, bar, my friend. It it is, but I'm still not like running out there and just saying, you know, it, I, it's terrible. I I can't. It's it's terrible film. Not supernova Very terrible, good. but it's terrible. Sorry, Brad. That's two Hold picks up. now. Two picks from you. <laughs> sorry. What, do, do you just not like me? Is that <laughs> no? I mean, I just. I mean, it's been forever since I saw this movie. I thought. Hey, what a better time. This is, we were going to see this because this is one of the biggest bombs of all time. It is. We, we were going to talk about it. Yeah. We had, no, I get it. But it, hey, it's proof like supernova in this one is proof how difficult it is to do science fiction because give it a decade, 10 years out from when the movie comes out, it's outdated. So what are you left with? You're left with the story. You're left with, you know, did that's did why it, Blade Runner is timeless yeah. because it's got a good story. You know, these, some of the, you know, alien Oh yes, it's a horror film, but it's also science fiction. Like some of these films are timeless because they get the story right. The thing, yeah, like these things are. It's it's a yes, great story. It's, it's a hard. great concept. It's, it's it has science fiction within it, but it's the human element. It's relatable. It's all of those things. It it hits what makes a good story. This is just not yes. a good story. Yeah, and doesn't help that it's just a gray turd. Yeah, and it doesn't. <laughs> You know, again, time does not treat this thing very well. You look back on things like, you know, I'll, I'll watch a Kurosawa film, you know, from, you know, that's 50 years old or whatever. And you look at that and it still has that. Well, and again, it's not really fair because it's time period. But, you know, you look at these frames of like cinematic masterpieces and you're you're looking at it like this is visually still very interesting. It looks amazing. And then you look at this film and you're like, even if I compare it to whatever, it's just like, it doesn't look good. Like time has not done this well. Like I love the PlayStation one. I play it was one of my favorite retro stuff that pixel early, like late nineties stuff. doesn't really hold up as well as say like 16 bit ground, like the super Nintendo games look better aesthetically to me than PlayStation one because of like that 16 bit graphics just look better. Those pixel graphics look better. Um, 
you know, the Nintendo 64 has not, has not aged well. Like it looks like garbage. Um, but I, I think it also depends on what are they putting on there? So if you got something that's visually interesting, uh, it, it yeah, works. Super no Mario matter. 64 still kind of has a nice charm to it. Yeah, uh, it does. The, the, the Zelda game, the link, game, the, whatever that game is called, um, something of time, whatever. Um, you know, some of those do hold up, but you know, when your only thing that you have is visuals, those will go out of style at some point in time. Yes, absolutely. And this one was like the next day it came out. <laughs> That's true. Well, I, I think it's time for the question. I mean, we've, we've killed this thing. Um, Brad is, is final fantasy, the spirits within a bomb. It is a bomb out of that cannon, okay. whatever that thing was called. The Zeus cannon, the Zeus cannon. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. You, you know, James Woods doesn't even ham it up to the point that he does in like Hercules. I mean, James Woods just being sort of creepy James Woods. Uh, and, and uh, man, how did, how do you, how do you zap the energy out of James Woods being evil? They did it. There you go. You tell him that Trump lost the election. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. No, I, I can totally understand why this thing bombed. Like I said, if you go back and, and look at it, what was, you know, playing, in the theaters at the time this thing came out, they were really banking on that audience, the Final Fantasy audience, you know, really coming to save this thing and to be a big hit and maybe be a mainstream crossover. But I got to tell you, I mean, it, without a giant chicken in this thing, uh, I, I don't, I don't think anybody was going to be happy. But to be fair, like the video game audience does not go out and see the game that they make just because they make a movie of their game. True. Like true. They would rather play it if it's like, well, but that that's not totally, I mean, look, mortal Kombat still does pretty well. And I mean, it just came out this year. It's considered yes. a success. Because that's they a, stuck to the, that's a little different because it's more act like, yes, it's mortal Kombat, but it's an action movie first. Yeah. It's an incoherent story as well, but for, for some reason, dude, they, I know exactly <laughs> what's happening in Mortal Kombat, yeah. especially in Mortal Kombat 95 and the new one. I know exactly what's going on. Hell, I know what the story in Annihilation is compared to this. Yeah. And they get in a hamster ball that goes through the earth. <laughs> okay. Um, well, listen, we got some great feedback uh, this week, uh, kind of uh, some suggestions and even some feedback about Supernova. So, do you want to go first? Do, do you want me to go first? You go first. I'm pulling up my email right now. Okay. Well, in a couple of exchanges we've had from some listeners, a couple of requests came through, and they're actually pretty good. So the first one comes from Michael. He says, love your show, and I'd like to make a suggestion. You have to cover Star Trek Nemesis. It's got a script that nobody liked, a director who didn't care about Star Trek, and it pretty much brought the franchise to an end until the reboot. Have you seen that I, I have um i i am notoriously not a star trek fan i do like the the new the rebooted jj abrams bad robot production ones quite films. a bit yes yeah. into the darkness and beyond is that the third one yeah um i think it was quite a bit but i had seen nemesis like just out of the blue and i think that's the only other star trek film i've seen maybe oh really yeah, I, I don't care for Star Trek, so. I like him. I don't remember 
<laughs> Honestly, Sorry, John, I don't like Star Trek. I don't remember Nemesis very well. I, I'm pretty sure I've seen it, but just this description, it's going on the list. I would love to, I would actually love to do a month where we pick the sequels that are bombs that for the most part pretty much killed a franchise for a while. Yeah, franchise killers. Franchise killers. So I thank you, Michael. I think you've inspired us to maybe do a month where we're going to do franchise ki- franchise killers. I like that concept. Yeah, that, That's at pretty at cool. that point, at this point, it's going to be like February before we start that because we've got everything planned out for a long time. That's true. So here's another suggestion we got from a listener, Josh. He says, rewatch Dante's Peak tonight for the first time in a long time. Wife and I both enjoyed it, and the special effects really hold up. I like it. And I think it qualifies as a bomb. Is it on the list? So he also sent some facts on it. It had a $116 million budget. It made $67 million in the U.S., $178 million worldwide, and has a 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, so we could do it because critics panned it. Well, it, I mean, at $178 million with 116, that probably didn't make its money back because you got to go about twice the budget. Yeah, twice, it, yeah. It yeah. definitely bombed in the U.S., so... I yeah. think another thing we should do is disaster films that bombed. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. There's a yes. lot of those. So, uh, Josh, that's going on the list, too. So, Michael and Josh, thank you. I think you're giving us some ideas to make some – because I'm having fun with the themed months. I mean, this month we're doing science fiction animation, uh, and it's kind of cool to look at this. And I will be curious, you know, the last show we do of this month to kind of go back and just say, what was the worst? What was the best? What did we think of this little journey we did? But, um, yeah, I, I definitely want to do a disaster film month and, uh, Dante's peak is going in there. So you got an email from Chris Evans. I did captain America himself. Yes. Um, howdy bombers had to message the podcast after hearing Brad and Sammy destroy that trivia. I was in awe the whole time. I kept saying, how the hell did you guys know this? I, I was too, Chris. It just floored me. I'm still in awe of you, Brad and, and Sammy. It's amazing. Yeah, it, I got, got lucky. Uh, most impressive. Uh, anyway, my real reason is the e- it, for my email is for honor of Supernova. Oh, great. Oh, boy. You guys are so right. That movie is trash and no one should ever see it. Unfortunately, I watched before hearing the episode. And for that reason, I have to suggest the biggest bomb I can think of. 2006's Kurt Vimmer directed ultraviolet oh, wow this is, this is easily the worst film i've ever seen and no joke has some of the worst special effects in any films fellas add it to the list and then he has a question okay my question is has a movie ever been so bad that you will you had to walk out i will admit that i walked out of movie 43 yes brad i know it's my own fault even seeing it but i i thought it looked funny but the part with period blood Check the oil, right, Troy? Oh, boy. <laughs> Made me get out of my seat and leave. Thanks for the great podcast, and I can't wait to hear more. Troy, have you ever had a movie theater experience where you walked out? No. I really sit through it. So here's the thing. I enjoy watching bad films just because in my head it's giving me a little bit more appreciation of the ones I love. So – Movies, I actually have a pretty good tolerance and will sit through it. And trust me, there's tons of films like 30 minutes into it. I'm going, I should turn this off, but I want to see where this goes because there are, you know, there's movies out there. You go out of an hour and a half, the last 30 minutes are actually pretty cool. But the first hour, man, it's a bear to get through. So I have not walked out of a film. TV shows are are an entirely different thing. 
If I'm not engaged in the first few episodes of a TV show, I'm out. I will bail. Like we just talked about Marvel, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I gave that thing two episodes and have never gone back to it. So I've got a whole list of TV shows that I may have started and never went back to. And it was like, yeah, it just didn't didn't get you know me going. There was no interest in me carrying on for another 26 episodes per season for nine seasons or whatever it is. So how about you? I've walked out of quite a few. Um, most notably, I saw Angels and Demons with Charlie. Um, <laughs> and I went with him and uh, got up about 30 minutes into it. There's a part where Tom Hanks' character looks down at his watch to see what time it is because he's trying to figure out what direction to go. And his Mickey Mouse watch is like pointing in a direction. And that's how he figures up where to go. And I said, you know what? My ass movie. And I got up and I left. <laughs> I waited for Charlie in the lobby because I had ridden with him. And I was just like, I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to sit here um, and not see the rest of this movie because I hated every second of it. The Da Vinci Code was not my favorite. Um, I thought it was at least a little interesting. Um, but boy, that Angels and Demons, when he's looking at his watch to figure out where to go. Mm -mm, mm -mm, wow. Nope. Um, I also walked out of... I don't know why I even went to go see this movie because it was 2002. So anything from, so I got my license in 99. So anything from 99 to about 2010, if it was in the theater, I watched it. This was a Katie Holmes movie. It was called, I believe it's called Abandon. Steve Goggin, Stephen Goggin directed it. I don't remember what part it was, but I remember just saying, this movie is really boring and just getting up and leaving. So abandon the Katie Holmes movie. And then my last one, I remember leaving Jennifer Lopez was in a movie called enough. I remember I that. Walked, okay. Yeah. And I, I left in that. I, those are like the three I remember. So the, the only film I can think of where I, so I did not walk out of it, but my father said, we are leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I was, We're leaving. I was five. And so keep in mind, I, I don't know how you grew up, Brad. My dad took me to everything. So rating wasn't. My, bro a, my brothers kind of did the same for me. Yeah. Rating on a film wasn't a big issue and he loved films. So we saw everything in the theater. And I remember specifically, uh, since we're talking about video games, this is a great story because it ties into video games. We go to Sears and we get Pong. So um, it's 1977. We get Pong. We're excited because it's like the first video game thing. It's the two lines and the dot going back and forth. And so we go to Sears, we buy Pong, and he says, well, let's go catch a movie before we go home. And I remember we get Pong at Sears, and in Wichita, Kansas, there was, um, I think it was Twin Lakes Theaters, was what it's called, it just had two cinemas. And uh, we must have seen the other film. He didn't know what the other movie was, but he's like, let's just go see whatever's playing here. So we buy tickets for uh, a little film called Looking for Mr. Goodbar. Do you know what this <laughs> film's about? No, I, I've heard about it. Okay. So it is a film with Diane Keaton and Richard Gere. And I still, to this day, have not seen this film. But I just remember, specifically my dad, about you know, 10, 15 minutes into it, and I have no idea because I'm five, what's going on? I'm just eating my popcorn. And then at some point, my dad's like, we got to go. Let's go play Pong. And for years, I'm like, that's the only movie I can think of that we ever just left. 
but the whole movie is about a dedicated school teacher spends her nights cruising bars looking for abusive men with whom she can engage in progressively violent sexual encounters. So something must have happened in the first 10 minutes that my dad was like, yeah, we got to go. <laughs> so uh, that's the only film that we left. And I remember that specifically because we got our first video game system, which was Pong. But personally, Richard, Richard Brooks, does he direct looking for Mr. Goodbar? Uh, yeah, Richard Brooks. Okay. Yeah. You st- I don't know how you keep all that information in there. It's amazing. Again, but- I told you, ask me what I did yesterday or ask me something important. Don't remember, but that's impressive. Ask me a director of something or a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but TV shows all bolt. So, yeah. Like, and again, now, like if it's streaming and it's literally nothing like army of the dead, I watched it all because I knew like you and I and Sammy and Jose were going to talk about it. So I felt like I had to sit through it, but if it was just me and I knew I wasn't ever going to talk to anybody about it, I would have stopped very, very quickly in that one. That um, one did test me pretty good. Yeah, I, my so butt was hurting the last hour of that one. You know, the barrier of entry, the easier it is, you know, if it's streaming or I have it or I'm just not feeling it, I'll turn it off immediately in a theater. It's like, okay, I gave them money. I got this popcorn, got this cherry Coke. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and then in movie sucks. I'm like, well, I, hmm. usually if it's like, okay, I have to pee anyway. So I'll just pee and leave it in the way out. And so I, I literally like angels and demons. I had to sit in the lobby for like an hour and a half, like literally an hour and a half by myself. That's amazing. So. That's amazing. Uh, so we're going to continue this little adventure, science fiction, animation, and hopefully we get a better movie. (laughs) I get to pick. So here's a film I hadn't seen in like 20 years and I know it's a bomb. It shows up on a lot of lists. What's amazing to me is when you go through the list of like biggest bombs, science fiction animation has a pretty good foothold in that list, right? Yeah. So, cause they're, they're expensive to make. But uh, this one comes from 2000, and I've been dying to go back and rewatch this thing. But next week, we're going to talk about uh, Titan AE. Have, have you seen this in a while? Yeah, Matt Damon is the – he voices the, the head character, the lead character. Yeah. With, uh, I think, Drew Barrymore also. Drew Barrymore's maybe? in it, yep. Yeah. This will be, be interesting. I haven't, I haven't seen it forever. I remember when it came out, I liked it a lot, <clears throat> and I was surprised it didn't do very well, but – Oh, you know what? Don Bluth is the director, I believe. He did like All Dogs Go to Heaven, which I really like. Did, God, he, I, did he do American Tale? I believe he did. I Did he? I, I don't know. Is that a Don Bluth film? No, it said it's Don Bluth and one other. Um, Gary oh, Goldman. Gary Goldman. Okay. I only remember. Okay. Yeah. So this, this will be fun. I mean, it's, it's crazy. We're talking about this film in 2001. So four years to make a uh, computer generated film and the year before Titan AE comes out and uh, you know, it, it'll be fun to compare. I mean, that's just a year apart, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm excited. I haven't seen, I saw this in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. It, I do remember. So that. we will, we will again, I don't know if I've seen it since the theater. So again, we're, we're getting these films that I've only seen once and it was in the theater and then probably forgot it immediately. So yeah, we'll we're, ta- see. we're taking a chance on this one. Like iron giant. I watch all the time. So I, yeah. I knew what we were getting into this. Well, even final fantasy. I, I just remember liking it when I first saw it, 
couldn't tell you why in hindsight outside of maybe 20 years ago I was like wow that's really cool but um yeah it, it'll be interesting to see how titan ae plays out yeah i'm excited um if you have an ex- a suggestion for us like uh chris mr captain america does um you can email us at notabombpod at gmail.com hit us up on twitter facebook and instagram um, that's how some people have suggested stuff as well. What else, Troy? Oh, Cowboy Bebop is coming soon. Yes. We should record Very soon. that this week, I think. Yes. Fingers like, crossed. I've been the problem. So apologies, apologies hey, to everybody. We don't miss this one. So, you know. All right. Yeah, I know. We're, we're clockwork on this one. So I don't, you know, I always end with, I don't know when you're listening, morning, afternoon, evening. We're just super happy you, you know, stop by to hang out, hear us talk about movies and man I, I just hope you're having an awesome day we'll check you next week when we talk about 2000s titan ae don't lose your head <laughs>